Well, our first testimony this morning is going to be my beautiful wife, Miss Elizabeth Ramsey. We all welcome her, please. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. And before I start on my little story, I want to first say, doesn't the stage look good? If you were excited about VBS, are you excited now? Um, Lee, Pastor Stephen's wife, is kind of our um, mastermind behind it all. She uh, kind of gets the vision, and then we all show up and work and help her get it done. But I want to tell y'all, this is prophetic. Do you know we had a word spoken over this church years ago about the baptismal waters, the cross right there, and about the river of God just overflowing and flowing out into our church and out into our community that revival. And isn't that a good word? And so when I came in and I saw her working on that, I was like, oh, oh <laughs> I think this is God. <laughs> so, and she really felt like it was the Lord to do that this year. So that's a good word, isn't it? Okay, so I'm going to focus on Father's Day. Um, we are doing testimonies this morning. And uh, my story, my wonderful story about my daddy actually begins with great tragedy. Um, my mother had passed away back in 1995, and my dad had been married. They, my parents had been married almost 30 years. They, she passed away right before their 30th uh, year anniversary. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that happily married men marry again really quickly. Well, that's what my daddy did. Nine months later, my daddy got married. And so it was actually pretty hard. Um, my sister and I, and of course I was thankful he had a wife, you know, and that this, this woman is a good woman, but it was hard. It was hard, you know, nonetheless. Um, and so my sister and I found ourselves with the daunting task of having to sort through 29 years of marriage and 56 years of my mother's life. Um, you know, my, my daddy's wife was going to move in and we needed to get all this stuff out of here. So here we went, and my sister and I are close. We love each other. We have a great relationship. And so we were determined to not fuss and fight about things. And we did good. We did real good. Um, we pretty much would throw everything in a pile, like all the silver was in a pile and all the crystals in a pile. You know how it is, all the dishes and everything. And we just sort of said, okay, you pick first this time, and then I'll pick. And then it was my turn to pick first, and then she'd pick. And we'd go through each pile like that. And so we sorted through it all and did good, packed it all up and brought it home. Um, but there was one thing that we never addressed, and that was my mother's jewelry. Um, my mother, like most women, she had collected little things throughout her life, little uh, bracelets and, you know, little rings and, you know, little necklaces, whatever, and she had one really nice ring, and that was her wedding ring. And there was nothing else that compared to that wedding ring. That was the biggest item. It was the most expensive. You know, it was the diamond. And all the other stuff was just little compared to that. And there was really no way for us to divide that up. And so, needless to say, Nicole and I together came to the decision, Nicole's my sister, that we would throw it all in a little baggie, this little satin jewelry pouch that she had. And at that point, I kind of seemed to have the safest place for it. So I brought it back to my house and it just sat. It just sat. And um, just waiting. We didn't talk about it. I didn't look at it. We didn't get it out. Well, fast forward to 2001. 
And um, my daddy started asking, what happened to that jewelry? Where's that jewelry? And what did we ever do about the diamond ring issue? Well, we hadn't done anything. And so he said, I think it's time to make a decision. And what I'm going to do, he had decided. And you know how men, sometimes they're just going to fix things. He was just going to fix it, and he had the answer. And he decided that he would take all of her jewelry, and he would um, divide it all up, and he was going to buy a diamond ring that would be comparable to her diamond. Well, Nicole and I both knew that we didn't really want a diamond, another diamond ring. You know, we didn't want just a diamond ring. We wanted her diamond ring. We both knew it. We both wanted it. It was so sentimental to us, and it was hard to let go of. But we both knew enough to know that that we needed to make a decision and to just let Dad figure it out. So we let it go. And so he came and picked up that jewelry. Well, so here we are in June of 2001, and it was, I had, it was a long, long, hot summer that summer. I'll never forget it. I was pregnant with Ruth Ann, and she was overdue. She was so overdue. And I had had all my other babies three weeks early. And you know how it is when you've been, you've had two that are three weeks early. You just think your third one should come three weeks early. Well, that baby was a week late. And when she finally came, she weighed two ounces shy of 10 pounds. She was huge. And so she finally comes, and she's beautiful and wonderful. And today's her birthday. She's 10 today, little Ruth Ann. But um, anyway, she finally came, and we were so relieved and so happy, and I was exhausted and emotional, to say the very least. And, and my dad shows up to visit his sweet little precious Ruth Ann and comes and sees her in the hospital, and he said, by the way, I want to do the jewelry. And I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy. You want to do the jewelry. And you know how it is when you've had a baby and you're pretty emotional anyways? And in my mind, I thought, I, I knew I had to be ready to let go of that ring. I, I've got to let go of this ring. Because what if I'm not the one who gets it? And so he said, when you get home from the hospital, I want to do this ring. And he was pretty excited about it. Um, he would remind you of Pete. And by the way, he's in Ireland today. He's, he's on a plane to Ireland so he couldn't be here today, my dad. Yeah, not Pete. We didn't send Pete to Ireland. But, <laughs> but anyways, but he would remind you of Pete. He grins like Pete, and he just, he just is Pete. But um, anyway, so he's got this big grin on his face, and I'm getting ready to be released from the hospital, and he said, let's do it today. Well, great. So I, Paul brings us home. And literally within about an hour after I'm home, here comes my whole family in to do this jewelry. And I'm telling you, I had purposed in my heart that I was not going to be bitter, that I was not going to be angry, that I was going to be okay with whatever I got. Well, so here we go. We come home, and my dad has these big white boxes wrapped up with these big pretty red bows. It was so pretty. And um, he said... He said, now, we're going to draw numbers to see who gets what box. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, it's a number. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you feel like my, my whole, everything I want is in this number I'm going to get. So I, I get this number, and he gives me a coordinating box, and he gives my sister her box. And he said, now, we're going to sit down, and when, you girls open your boxes, and when you open them up, there's all these little 
gray boxes, gray jewelry boxes, and there's one black box. Well, guess I knew what was in the black box. Can you guess we each have a black box? Well, he says, I want you to open the gray ones first, and we're going to take turns. One, you know, we'll open one gray, and then she'll open a gray, and so on and so forth. And we're going to do the black boxes last. Well, so I get in there. I open my big box, and Nicole's opening hers, and we start opening those gray boxes. And it's so sweet, and it's so tender, because I'm looking at my mother's watch that she wore, or I'm looking at her baby cross necklace, or her bracelet, her bangle bracelet that I remember her wearing. And so it's very emotional. All these memories start to flood my mind. And, and knowing the whole time we're waiting to get down to that black box. But what we, what we get is ours. We're going to keep this. And so, so anyways, it finally comes time to open the black box. And I want you to know when I open that black box, I open it up and I have my mother's ring. And I looked at it, and I was, this brief moment of, I got the ring. But immediately, I saw her ring, and I started to cry. Because I felt so guilty that my sister didn't have it. I had a ring. And poor old Nicole didn't get the ring. So now, I'm sad because I feel guilty. And so my sisters were across the room, so I couldn't see what was in her black box. So finally I look at her and I said, well, what'd you get? You know, I'm thinking she's got some cool dinner ring I'm going to be happy for her, you know. And she looked at me and she said, I got the ring. And I said, what ring? I got the ring. She said, I got the ring. And we looked at each other and we had the same ring. And we looked at our dad and we were like, what'd you do? And what he did was so wise. My, mother, my mother's ring is two parts. Um, when he married my mom, of course, when he proposed, he gave her a diamond, a solitaire. And then for her 50th birthday, he gave her a ring guard or a ring jacket that she slipped that ring down in. And so what he did for us is he, he got a, a solitaire that was as close as it could be to hers. And then he had the jeweler make from her ring a mold. And he, and he had a ring guard made just like hers. And then he put one piece of the old, like the old ring guard has the new solitaire. And the new solitaire went with the old ring guard. And so we each had a piece of her ring. And so when, I, when we figured that out, we were so thankful. And of course, we're both in tears. He's in tears. And I want you to know that my precious dad, in what I like to compare to the wisdom of Solomon, he took a situation that looked hopeless to me. It looked hopeless. It looked like one of us was going to be a loser. But what he did is he fixed it. He fixed it. He had two girls and he fixed it for both of us. And so when I look at this ring today, when I look at my mother's ring, I see three things. I first of all look at this ring and I see my mom. I see her hands that cared for me and her hands that loved me and her hands that, that cooked and cleaned and just cared for us. But I also see my dad. I see a daddy who fixed it, who had two girls and he fixed it. 
But you know what the third thing I see? I see Heavenly Father. I see my Heavenly Father. Because you know what? My daddy portrayed Father God to me that day. Because he took a situation that looked hopeless, and he made a way. He made a way for both of his girls. He made it right for us. And you know what? In the Bible, it says that we can call Father God, Abba Father. And do you know what Abba means? It means Daddy. It means Daddy. And you know what? That's what daddies do. They fix it. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're here with any situation in your life, you've got a Father in heaven who knows how to fix stuff. He knows how to make it right for you. And it's beautiful when he does it. You may not have had a father that fixed anything. You may have had a father that was a good father. You may be in a situation right now that you don't see a way out. I want to encourage you, allow Father God to have a shot at it. Return to the Father. Let Him have a chance to fix it. My God is a good God. He's an awesome God. And He's a God that I can call Father. Amen? Our second and last testimony is a dear friend of mine, and it's about a story of her daddy who's a dear friend of mine. And would y'all please welcome Miss Carrie Apple. <laughs> My kids laugh at the picture. Um, <laughs> About five years ago, I had the crazy idea that I would run a half marathon. And I'm not a natural runner, but I thought, I can do this. I can make a goal, and I can do it. So January 1st, I started training, and I talked my husband into doing it with me. And we trained and ran, and I would run with Carter on my back training because he would wake up. He would be the first one up, and we'd get up and go together early in the morning. And so finally it came time for race day. And my parents brought our oldest son, Eli, to watch us. And he was three at the time. And before the race, you get a map of where you're going. And we had arranged places that my parents would stand and we could see everybody. So we had it all planned out. And I carried a cell phone and I called them along the way. And race day is fun. It's exhilarating, you've got an adrenaline going, and you feel like you are on top of the world when you're running a race. It's, it's just a lot of fun. And every time we would get close to a place, we would call my parents and say, okay, here we are, here we are. And they would send Eli out, and we would run with Eli for a little bit, and then they'd come and get Eli, and we'd go on to the next place. And I don't know how many are runners, but if, when you're running, um, hills are hard. And everybody says that going up a hill can kill you. For me that day, going down a hill was miserable. And I would slow down every time we would go down a hill. And um, so one, day, one time going down a hill, I looked at my husband and I said, go on ahead and I'll just catch up in a little bit. You just go. I'll be fine and I'll catch up with you. Because I thought on a flat, I'll catch up with him. 
And at mile eight and a half, I felt my knee pop, and I thought, oh, this is it. I, I'm, I've hurt myself. And so I was hurt, and I felt like I couldn't go on. And I called my dad, and I said, Dad, be watching for Jeff. He's going to go on ahead of me, but I'm hurt. And my dad said, oh, I'm coming to get you right now. Don't finish. Don't finish. And the Grogan girls are stubborn. And um, I thought, I've trained for four months. I will crawl to the end before I quit today because I've, I've trained. I'm not going to train and quit. And um, so my dad said, oh, well, you, you know, you don't need to hurt yourself. So I stopped at a medic tent. They helped me a little bit, and I kept going. And I would try to trot and limp along. And um, I knew that Jeff was about a mile and a half of me because he had borrowed somebody's phone. We had talked throughout the, the race. And I called my dad when I was I don't know how many of you know Nashville, but the back of Municipal Auditorium going up James Robertson Parkway, it's a pretty steep little hill. And it's, that's at mile 12 of a 13.1 mile race. And I thought, I knew Jeff was about to the finish line. So I called my dad and I said, Dad, be at the finish line. Have, have him there. Eli, Jeff's probably there. I want Eli to see his dad. So be there at the finish line. Be there. And my dad said, Carrie, I'm not at the finish line. I thought to myself, I was so mad. I thought, what have you done? You've gotten stuck in traffic and you've missed it. You've missed the end goal. And he said, Carrie, I'm not at the finish line. And I'm getting frustrated. And I said, Dad, where are you? He said, look up, Carrie. So I looked up the hill to the top of the hill of Municipal Auditorium. He said, look up. I'm right here. I've come to get you. He said, I know you were hurting and I wasn't going to let you do this by yourself. So I met my dad on that hill, and he put his, my arm on his shoulder, and he put his arm around my waist, and he helped me the last mile of, of my marathon, of my first half marathon. And, and what he did was he did what daddies do. He helps their kids when they're hurting. Now, if you ask my dad today about that day, you can say, Dad, that was really cool. You really showed me a lot that day. He would shrug and say, I was just doing what dads do. That's what a daddy does. He said, you were my baby, and you were hurt, and I wasn't going to let you do it hurt. And that's exactly how Father God treats us. He comes to us when we're hurt. It is who he is. God will cross all barriers and come to us when we're hurting, and he'll get us to our finish line. Luke fifteen twenty is part of the parable of the prodigal son. And it says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And it doesn't say in there that the father waited on his son to beg to come home. And it doesn't say that, the son, that it was the son's obligation. All it says is that the father ran to him. And the father runs to us because he has compassion for us. the story of the, par the uh, prodigal son, you've probably heard it a thousand times, but 
Let me just tell it again just for a moment. A son goes to his dad and say, says, Dad, I'm done here. I'm done being here. I want to leave, and I want you to give me everything that should be mine. And what did the dad do? He gave him his inheritance. He let him go. And what did the son do? He went out and blew it all. He lived it up. He uh, spent the money on all the wrong things, wasted all his money away, found himself with pigs, working with pigs, and not having anything to eat, and wound up trying to eat what the pigs had to eat. And it was at that moment that he thought, you know what? The workers, the workers in my daddy's house eats better than this. Now with Carrie, Carrie wasn't in sin. Carrie hadn't messed up. Carrie was just hurt. And the character of her daddy was to go. He didn't wait for her to ask her to come. Ask him to come. He went. Now in the story of the prodigal, the son had done everything wrong. He had blown it on every end. But you know what he said in that pig pen is he said, I will get up and I will go home. You know, you may be at a point that you've moved so far away from God that you've moved so away from your relationships that you need to come to that point to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go home. But you know what? It takes two steps. Saying it is good, but then you've got to do it. How many of you at the first of the year made a, pl a pledge to go work out every day for the next three, three, three months or six months or a year? And how many times did you make it? Maybe once. <laughs> Maybe twice. You've got to not just say, I'm going to get up and return, but return. And can you imagine the, the fear, the anxiety that this son had returning home? Dad, I've got nothing, I'm worth nothing, and I want to come home. And do you know he even rehearsed it? He said to himself, I'm going to say this to Daddy. I'm going to say, Dad, I want to come home. I just want to be one of your workers. Your workers eats better. And do you know it said that when he started coming home that the father saw him from afar off? Can you put that scripture back up? That tells me that daddy was looking for him. Daddy was looking for him. This son that had done everything wrong. And let me tell you, my dad's already gone and I already had an emotional moment, but I'm having another one because you know what? As a son, I did everything wrong. Have you ever been there? You've spit on your parents, you've cussed at your parents, you've treated them like a piece of junk. But my daddy still loved me. Praise God. God the Father's character is not based on my dad's character. My dad has great character. But your dad may not have. I want to ask you what, to try God the Father. Because he will not let you down. He will not. You know, it says that the Father was looking for him. And the son had rehearsed what he was going to say. And what did the daddy do, as Carrie said? He ran to him. He embraced him. And the son tried to rehearse, tried to say what he had rehearsed. He started saying it. And the daddy shut him up and said, Somebody go kill a cow. Somebody go find the band to play. And let's get the party started. Where's his robe? Where's his ring? You're not coming in my house to be a worker. You are my son. My son whom I love. 
and whom I have desired back from the moment you left. You know, I think these two testimonies that were said just paints a great picture of God the Father. God the Father is ready and is desiring you to return. And whatever mess up you have made, God can fix it. God's word says that he makes all things good to those that love him. You know that son loved his father. Sometimes we just go stupid. Praise God, God has a stupid clause built into his word. It's called mercy. It's called grace. It's called forgiveness. And praise God, he has used it many times on me. Would you return to the Father? Today's not the day. I've done this so many times where we've talked about honoring our Father and trying to make it right with our Father. That's not the day today. Today's the day to get right with your Father God. Will you all pray with me? You may be sitting right there and say, Pastor, you don't know how difficult it's been with my Father. You don't know how bad it's been. It's been so bad. Well, I do want to ask you to do one thing. And it's probably something you're not going to feel like doing. And it is to forgive him. He may be dead. He may be gone. And you've still not forgiven him. Can I tell you what forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not saying, what daddy did to me is okay. It's not justifying the hurt. It's not saying, Daddy, you can keep doing this to me because you're my daddy. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, I don't hold you accountable for that anymore. I don't forgive you because you're worth being forgiven, Daddy. I forgive you because God the Father says to forgive. And you know what? Your dad is not the beneficiary of the forgiveness. You are. You may not feel like it today, but I want to encourage you. Say it today. Daddy, I forgive you. Tomorrow you wake up and you may not feel it again. You say it again. Daddy, I forgive you. And you know what? Just maybe you can forgive him. Just maybe. Daddy, I forgive you. I forgive you. God the Father is a good God. And He is longing to embrace you. He is longing to restore you. He is longing to provide for you. Why? Because that's what a good daddy does. That's God the Father. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for I just pray for healing in fathers. I pray for healing in mothers. I pray for healing in sons and daughters. Bring healing this Father's table. I thank you, Lord, that my relationship with you is not based on any human on this earth. 
It's based on you and on Jesus Christ. And Jesus, you are perfect. God the Father, you are perfect. And I can trust you. You may be here today and your marriage is falling apart. Your life is falling apart. Your health is falling apart. Your finances are falling apart. It may be one of those. It may be all of them. I want you to know that God the Father has an answer. He has an answer for you today. Would you turn to him today? You may say, Pastor, I've never received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, Romans 10, 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Would you do that right where you sit? Just say, Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. Come into my heart and save me. Thank you, Lord. We all stand with me. We're going to sing a song. And I just would like to ask those that are ministering, come on down. If you need prayer today, if you've got such a damaging relationship with your father and you want someone to pray with you, let us pray with you today. If you've got something going on in your life with your job or with your health, let us pray with you today. Be like the prodigal son and don't be so full of pride that you stay in that pig pen. Get up out of it. And seek God's guidance this morning. He is here waiting for you. Amen.